Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to introduce you to somebody very special. She couldn't be here tonight, but she's here in spirit. And she has a little clip that we just want you to hear. And that's my own mom. Take it away, Mom. To all of my friends in Calvary Chapel in Albuquerque, Merry Christmas and God's many blessings for the new year. May your holidays be full of love and sweet surprises. You are always in my prayers. Well... Eighty-eight years old. I'm holding tonight the baby Jesus and manger from the nativity set that I grew up with in my home that my mom gave me about a year ago. Oh, this comes from probably the 1940s, I'm guessing. Well, every year I looked into the manger, the nativity scene, and I, I looked at this little baby Jesus. And it evoked wonder. This is where I got a lot of my information in my early years from. Now, as I look at it today, it's still a bit wonderful, and yet there's something not quite right. This baby Jesus looks more like about a two-year-old child rather than an infant. The hair is blonde. And now, from what I know of the Middle East, I have a bit of a problem with that. (laughs) The eyes are blue. So obviously this was crafted by a European rather than somebody in the Middle East. And the manger is a wooden manger. Now I know that's how most of us think the story reads. The manger was probably not made out of wood. Now I know I already destroyed a lot of your thinking this morning and your thoughts about the Christmas holiday season in our message this morning. But the term manger used in the Bible is a word that could mean either a feeding trough or an enclosure for animals. And animals in the Middle East were kept inside not wooden enclosures, but usually caves. And the feeding troughs in that part of the world were made out of stone more than wood. You can still see many mangers today if you take a tour to Israel. They would point out, and if you come with us, I'll point out on several spots, a manger carved out of solid limestone. So probably Jesus was born in some cave in the fields around Bethlehem, and he was laid in straw in a manger that was made out of stone rather than wood. The real question, however, is why? Why was Jesus born in, of all places, that setting? Why a manger? Why a cave? Why a feeding trough for animals? Why not in some grand palace? Why not have it posted on CNN, or at least the Jerusalem Post when he was born? Why a manger? Twenty years ago, my son was born here in Albuquerque, out on the west side in a little hospital. And uh, I didn't have a donkey, I had a car. I didn't have a cave. I had medical insurance. There were two doctors, a couple nurses, two beds in the room, one for my wife and another for my son. And if they would have said, I'm sorry, there's no room, 
I would have insisted that they admit her. There's a great book out called Rabboni, written by Philip Keller. It's been around for a number of years. He helps us picture this in a realistic way. Were someone to chance upon the sheep stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning, what a peculiar scene they would behold. The cave stinks, like all enclosures do. The stench of urine, dung, and sheep reeks pungently in the air. The ground is hard, the hay scarce. Cobwebs cling to the ceiling, and a mouse scurries across the dirt floor. A more lowly place could not exist. Near the young mother sits a weary father. If anyone is dozing off, it's him. He can't remember the last time he sat down. And now that the excitement has subsided a bit, now that Mary and the baby are comfortable, he leans against the wall of the stable and feels his eyes growing heavy. He still hasn't figured this all out. The mystery of the event puzzles him, but he doesn't have the energy to wrestle with the questions. What's important is that the baby is fine, that Mary is safe. But Mary is wide awake. My, how young she looks. Her head rests on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. The pain has been eclipsed by wonder. She looks into the face of the baby, her son, her Lord, His Majesty. At this point in history, the human being who best understands who God is and what He is doing is a teenage girl in a smelly cave. I've always been intrigued by the Christmas story. It stemmed from the first time I looked and saw this little figurine in the nativity set. But I did wrestle with the question, why? Why would the one who divided time be born there? Why would the Lord of Lords come into the world in that kind of a setting? Well, I can think of at least three reasons why, and the first reason is humility. There's nothing more humble, there's no more humble a setting than a cave with animals in a stone-feeding trough. Paul the Apostle will remark on this later on when he writes to the Philippians and he will say, He, that is Jesus, made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. So in that humble setting, God incarnate came. Humility. Luke tells us in chapter 2, and we read a portion of it this morning, that his mother wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Have you ever asked why that's there? See, I've wondered about it. I read the story and I notice that the birth of Jesus Christ doesn't have a lot of details in the New Testament. And the one that writes about it the most is Luke. And all he says is, he was born... But it adds this singular detail. His mother wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Why? Because that was normal. That was the custom. That's how every Jewish baby was born. Swaddling cloths are long, narrow strips of cloth, 
And get this, the mom would, first of all, tightly wrap the arms, and then tightly wrap the legs, and then wrap the body like a cocoon, very similar to burial. Why? Well, that baby has just been born and was used to the nestling, the cuddling, the comfort of being inside of a womb where that baby was hunched over and there was flesh and fluid tightly against its skin. Suddenly, the baby is out in the open in cold air. Nothing is touching its skin. You know what happens. Every time a baby is born, he comes out doing what? Crying. It doesn't feel good. So, to bring comfort, to bring security, the baby is wrapped in swaddling cloths. Also, it was thought that those swaddling clothes would keep the bones straight. They would grow straighter from those formative days. The point is, humility. When Jesus came into the world, rather than coming into a royal setting of a palace with flowing silk robes, it was the simple peasantry of swaddling clothes. This great gift came in simple wrapping. Christmas gifts, well, you can go to the store. There's even special stores that will wrap presents for a fee. Some of them are very elaborate. Now, just a hint, gals, when you buy presents for guys, the wrapping doesn't matter. You've watched men open presents. They just rip right into it. You know, a paper bag would work for most guys. You don't have to be that elaborate. Jesus came in the humblest of wrappings, not in a gold bed, not attended by physicians, but barn animals. And this humility would depict his entire life and ministry. Isaiah the prophet said, He is despised and he is rejected among men. And even when Jesus died, he was put in a borrowed tomb, another cave, very similar to the one he was born in. The same prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. It's amazing to think that the creator and maker of the universe was confined to an embryo and then a fetus and then a newborn baby in Bethlehem. And the more you think about it, the more staggering it becomes. Philip Yancey helps us here. He said, imagine for a moment becoming a baby again. You really have to stretch your imagination. Giving up language and muscle coordination. The ability to eat solid food and control your bladder. God as a fetus. Or imagine yourself becoming a sea slug. That analogy is probably closer for us. On that day in Bethlehem, the maker of all that is took the form as a helpless, dependent newborn. So why was Jesus born in a feeding trough? Humility. Humility. There's a second reason I can think of. It speaks of not only humility, but incompatibility. Incompatibility. It showed the world's attitude toward Jesus from the beginning. There's no room in the inn. I'm sorry, you can't come here. You have to find somewhere else to have this baby born. And that phrase, no room in the inn, 
shows the incompatibility of Jesus Christ in this world. You may remember that later on Jesus said to his own disciples, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to this world, the world would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to this world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So Jesus admitted that he was in a world that he made, but the world itself hated him. I was reading a news clip this week from Hong Kong about a group of university students from three prominent universities in China that got together an online petition trying to rally people in the universities and in China to come down on the local Christmas celebrations because they said it's an invasion of Western culture on our Chinese culture. Let's get rid of American, they said, and European culture altogether. Now, I read that and I laughed because last time I checked, Jesus was born in the Middle East in an area that the ancients used to call the Orient. Jesus came from the Orient. He was born in an Oriental setting. But that just typifies the incompatibility that the world has with Christ. It's the same today. Just like in those days, the political world had no room for him. Herod saw him as an invader, a contender for the throne. Caesar and Rome knew nothing about him, cared nothing about him. It's the same way today. The political world has no room for Jesus Christ. You've noticed that. Until it's election day, I should add. When it gets around election time, it's funny how politicians get suddenly religious and court the church in order to get your votes. But when it comes to dealing with the real Christ and having a relationship with Him, you'll find by and large that doesn't exist. Also, the religious world had no room for Jesus. You know the story. Herod heard about this baby being born, and he went to his religious leaders and said, Hey, you guys, you know the prophecies. You tell me, where is this Messiah coming from? They didn't even have to look it up. They knew from the top of their head, they could cite chapter and verse, in Bethlehem of Judea, for Micah the prophet, and they quoted chapter 5, verse 2, instantly. And yet, though they knew what it read... Why didn't they go five miles and check it out for themselves? They didn't. In fact, 33 years later, when he comes back to Jerusalem and presents himself as their Messiah in fulfillment of the very scriptures they quoted, they had only one solution. Get rid of him. Crucify him. Because the religious world is incompatible with the authentic, historic Jesus Christ. You know how I know this? I talk to missionary after missionary after missionary who will tell me over and over again, when they go to foreign countries, their biggest opposition comes from organized religion. Not just other religions, sometimes organized churches that don't want this new evangelistic style of Jesus preached because it might be competitive with the church. It seems that things haven't changed much from the time of Jesus Christ. You know, as long as Jesus is a generic good teacher, he'll be accepted by people. 
Yes, Jesus was a great moral man, and he said wonderful things. That we can hang with. But when Jesus makes claims on people's lives, when he grows up from being a baby, you know, as long as he's this little blonde baby in a manger, we can deal with that. He grows up and says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father unless he comes through me. They have trouble with that. Don't you find it ironic that Jesus said these words to the church? Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. It's as if Jesus is on the outside of the church knocking to get in, saying to religious people, hey, wait a minute, it's all about me. And Maybe they've forgotten that. So the manger shows humility. The manger shows incompatibility. And also, the manger shows accessibility. Think about it. At Jesus' birth, he was completely accessible. There's nothing intimidating about going into a cave with animals and approaching a feeding trough. Oh no, how do I look? I'm going to a feeding trough tonight. There's nothing intimidating about that. You don't need special credentials. They don't need to flag your ID. You don't have to have an appointment. The magi, the shepherd, just could come in. And the shepherd just beheld him. There is an accessibility. And again, this marked not only Jesus' birth, but his entire life. Jesus was always accessible to people. Like the time mothers tried to bring their little babies to Jesus, and the disciples tried to push them away, and Jesus said, Don't do that. Let these little children come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Or the woman with the incurable disease for years that tried to press through the crowds, and Jesus welcomed her because of her faith. Or the Roman centurion with the dying servant who made it to Jesus and said, if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. Jesus had time for all of those people. So the manger was free and open to everyone. It was a public place. And that's the nature of God. And the manger was predictive of another event. The cross. The cross also was a public execution. Anyone could see it from Jerusalem. Anyone could approach and see Jesus dying on that cross. And the truth of the manger and the truth of the cross is anyone can come into his presence if they come through Jesus Christ. He's the one that is accessible that brings you into the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 10, the author writes, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, By the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is, His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. So now, when I look into the same nativity scene that I have, since my mom gave it to me last year, I see things a bit differently. I see humility, the humility of God. And anyone who would be humble enough to receive Him will understand Him. 
I see also the incompatibility that this world has with Jesus Christ, the historic, authentic Jesus. But I also see the accessibility. Come, Jesus would be saying, from the manger, from the cross, because of his life. You know how kids write letters to Santa every year? I found one I happen to love. This kid writes, Dear Santa, you did not bring me anything good last year. And you did not bring me anything good the year before that. This is your last chance, signed Alfred. Hey, Jesus has the best gift for you. It's called eternal life. It's called everlasting life. It's forgiveness. It's salvation from this present evil, wicked age. To be forgiven of your sins, to be a child of God, to rejoice in Him and in His righteousness. It's a great gift. Have you received the gift? Are you like those religious people? Oh, I'm I'm very busy and I, I know the verses. I can cite them chapter and verse. But have you gone to see? Do you know this child who became a man and died as the Savior of all mankind? If not, this would be a perfect time for you to get your heart right with Him. Would you just bow for a moment of prayer? Heavenly Father, we think about all that this evening means. We're thankful that we live in a free country where we can gather together like this and consider these things and sing with meaning these Christmas songs. Lord, thank you for your children, your people. Some have come twice or three times already to church. Some serve, but they do it out of joy. Thank you that we can be together on this night with our spiritual family, even before we break up in smaller groups with our human families. I pray, Father, for your peace to rest upon these, your people. I pray that a a newfound joy would be ours because of what we know about what this celebration means. Lord, we would also pray for friends, relatives who have come with us or gathered tonight. It is a, a pageant to come to a Christmas event. We're thankful for everyone who has come. But we pray that there would be another step. The step that personally invites you, Lord, to be their Lord. You, Savior, to be their Savior. And right where you're sitting tonight, you could say to Jesus, Lord, come into my life and save me from my sin. I turn my life to you. I receive you as my master. I turn from my past. I turn from my sin. Take my life. I want to live it for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.